Hello, and welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have another vintage podcast for you, all the way back from 2014. So today's guest was Gearhart, and he's a filmmaker and an editor. I met him in the film industry when I was acting and doing all kinds of other things back then. And uh, we met, I was in one of his um, earlier short films, and we had a good time, so we ended up becoming friends. So... I'm really excited to show this to you. I had a good time with him on the podcast, and now you'll get to meet him as well. Cool. All right, Gearheart, welcome. Well, uh, good to be here. Let's dive in, man. What, okay. um, let, let's start with with getting to know you. So, so what was your what was your childhood like? Were there impactful experiences or or uh, people? Hmm. Okay. So, so my childhood. Uh, so. Not really uh, fitting my name. Uh, I was born in in Florida, uh, in uh, near uh, uh, near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, and I don't know. I I grew up there until I was five or six. Um, moved up to to Atlanta. Um, I I would call myself a, a native Georgian at this point. I've lived here for. It's 19 years now. Um, been a minute. It's <laughs> been a minute. Uh, it's kind of terrifying, actually. Uh, it doesn't doesn't seem like it's almost been two decades, but here we are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I had I had a pretty normal suburban childhood upbringing. Uh, I mean, there was. No, no crazy. I don't. I don't. I don't have the great like immigration story or anything like that. But uh, yeah. Um, so it was me and my brother. Um, my brother Kurt. He's uh, he's three and a half years younger than I am. Um, and um, you know, what was your what's your relationship like? Uh, it's good. Um, so uh, Kurt, my brother, is uh, he's up at Harvard right now. Um, really. Yeah, That's he, cool. he is in his senior year at Harvard. Um, I think he is having a pretty tough time of things at the moment. Um, I can imagine senior year. Yeah, I think, it's uh, it's definitely not easy. Um, and uh, you know he's he's awfully smart. Um, so I guess I guess he he should be able to power through it. But um, I. Yeah. I think he's got a case of senioritis combined <laughs> with he's he's on the lampoon. Um, they're they're what what is the lampoon? So the lampoon is Harvard's kind of semi secret um, literary society, um, like the Dead Poet Society. Kind of, yeah. That's, that's maybe a good analogy. So you know, a, a bunch of comedy people are kind of there. The biggest, I think, um, would have to be Conan O'Brien um, was a member really? of the lampoon. Um, so yeah, he's he's one of the senior members there and. So he's he's dealing with all all the compers this semester and having to read all of their work to decide who gets in this semester and keeping up with all his his schoolwork and you know trying to to think about like oh what am I gonna do once I graduate um, <laughs> yeah. so so I think he's uh, he's a little overwhelmed right now but but hopefully uh, he'll be fine um, but. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but you guys had a pretty good relationship coming up. Like, uh, yeah, it was. Um, I would say it was a little bit competitive. Um, I thought I set the bar pretty high um, in <laughs> high school, um, but uh, he he surpassed me. Um, he ended up being one. You know, so 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 I was always like 
number 20-ish in my class um, and uh, at a pretty big high school. Um, there were 2,200 kids, I think, um, at, a, at my high school, Parkview High School. Um, and I thought I set the bar pretty high, but he, he ended up being salutatorian and going to Harvard. So that's there. <laughs> so there's definitely some civil, some um, sibling rivalry there. Um, but uh, yeah, we have a pretty good relationship. I I was texting him just today, um, just seeing seeing how things are uh, with him. So all yeah. all in all, we we did many of the same things in high school. Uh, we both did theater. We, we both did, did tennis. Uh, we both played instruments. Um, we were both very academically motivated. Um, so I, nice. we, I wouldn't say we're we're mirrors of each other by any means, but we we, we followed somewhat similar paths. Maybe you're on, you're on the same bandwidth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can relate. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, so what were there any? Would you say your brother and maybe some other people that maybe your parents or anybody who was a, like a, just helped shape the way you think? Um, like what, what makes Gearheart Gearheart? You know, so, so one of the things that, uh, that I remember my dad telling me in elementary school, probably, probably fourth, fifth grade, um, I think it was, it was, you know, it was probably relating to math. Um, I, I have never had a great time with math. Um, it's always my least favorite subjects. Um, if I struggle anywhere, it would be there. Um, and I guess like kind of about fifth grade was the first time that I was ever challenged by school. Um, and, um, you know, I, I just remember spending a lot of time on, on math assignments and, uh, just kind of like being really bummed out. And my, my dad told me, um, you know, I don't care what grades you get. All I care is that you do your best. Um, and I really took that to heart. Um, and uh, I may have gone a little overboard with it because, you know, at, at what point, you, you know, your best could be staying up for three straight nights, uh, studying <laughs> or, you know, I don't think that's what he meant, <laughs> Is that what you but mean? that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I, I think that was kind of formative, uh, it turned me into kind of a study monster and, uh, I don't know. I, I think I have a really good work ethic. Um, I think I, I owe that to him. Um, not, not just that individual moment, but I think that moment is maybe indicative um, of the general philosophy that, that I got from him. Um, so, you know, that was, that was definitely had an impact on me. Um, I would say in high school, um, I did musical theater and I almost didn't do it. Um, really? Why was that? Uh, you know, I don't know. So as a kid, um, I, I was pretty shy. Um, I was definitely an introvert. Um, I liked reading. Uh, I was a huge nerd. I loved Harry, Harry Potter. Um, Didn't we all? Well, <laughs> I, I really loved it. I had the Harry Potter backpack. I, I had the, the Gryffindor Quidditch sweater uniform. I mean, I, I, I was, I was rocking hundred percent nerd. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, but yeah, I, I was definitely quiet in school and and uh, wasn't really one to, to speak up or um, I don't know. I just kind of kept to myself. And a bunch of my friends um, went into to theater uh, in high school, and it was kind of this guaranteed like fun time. Um, <laughs> so you know, just intro to theater. You know, it's just kind of goofing off with your friends um but uh i turned out that i loved it um and uh it really helped me get out of my shell um and yeah. uh, like improv and that sort of thing oh well just... i mean it didn't have to be but i i got into improv um and kind of relished improv <laughs> um so yeah it, it grew from just like oh i'm just gonna take this intro to theater class to oh i'm gonna do the the full theater class and then I'm going to do musical theater too and then I'm going to be a thespian officer and I'll also do the improv and comedy sports and just all all this stuff hence um, the do your best yeah hence <laughs> <laughs> the do your best I went overboard with that too it resulted in just not a lot of sleep in high school just uh you know three three hours a night was a really good night um <laughs> okay. yeah it was it was terrible um it, yeah, it was, it was straight up unhealthy and, and terrible, uh, but I did very well, um, and uh, I mean, it paid off. Uh, I got a full ride to Georgia State University, um, okay. graduated, no debt. I made money, actually, off the experience, so it was... I, done, I would not have done it any differently. I really enjoy a challenge. Um, I really like seeing how far I can push myself. Um, and performing at my best and kind of hard on myself. If I don't perform at my best, I, uh, I, I'm my own worst critic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, yeah, theater, theater made me into a much more outgoing person who could deal with things on the fly just a lot better and help me also deal with just juggling lots of different things and management and what have you that was that was really really impactful and transformative i would say <laughs> cool uh you said georgia state right yeah yeah so what did you study there so um at gsu uh, i studied film and video production um and i graduated in, in 2012 so about just over two years ago um and you know it was it was a great time um met a lot of great people there um, a few of them who I'm still pretty close with. It's kind of strange. I find that most of my friends now are actually more high school friends. Um, wouldn't have expected that. Um, they, they still, I still have more high school friends than I have college friends, but I did meet a bunch of really talented people there who have gotten me to where I am now and I'm working because of them, so <laughs> can't, can't complain about that. <laughs> Wait, so are, are a lot of those friends theater friends, or are they... Uh, they, so, so interestingly, um, when I got to, to Georgia State, um, I decided to, to really focus on, on film. So I didn't pursue the acting anymore. I still kind of needed a theater fix, so I transferred over to the technical side. So I worked as um, the technical director's student assistant um, for four years there, um, okay. building sets, hanging lights, uh, 
coordinating things. Just everything. Just just all all manner of things. Um, learned a lot of cool things. Learned to weld. Learned to build. Weld. Really. Weld. Learned like electrical stuff. Carpentry. Um, really, really loved it. Uh, and cool. got a lot out of it. So that's yeah. cool. My my grandfather had a farm in Kansas, and he has like a big workshop. So okay. learning to weld and, and how to just work with your hands is probably one of my favorite takeaways ever. It's 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 really it's relaxing, and I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. Just like creating something. I, I I've always felt the need to create. Um, you know, as as a little kid, it was Tinker Toys, and then I graduated to Legos, and then I graduated to Connects. Um, and, and then I guess I kind of graduated into writing and creating things on paper and then also in, in college creating actual like sets and, and lighting schemes and, and what have you. So it's always been kind of in my blood, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Had a lot of interesting experiences. Um, were there any, uh, people when you were at college, like maybe professors or anything, that sort of pushed you in a certain direction you weren't expecting? Um, hmm. I would have to cite Todd Studebaker. Uh, so, so Todd um, was and is the, uh, the technical director at Georgia State um, of the, the theater department. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to know Todd over eight semesters. Um, he, I unfortunately only got to take one class with Todd, um, which was, uh, film lighting. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that I learned a lot from him. He was definitely a mentor. Um, you know, I, I felt like of everybody I could trust him the most and, I don't know, could ask him for, for advice and, and what have you. So he, he is definitely, he is the gem, I would say. Yeah. So <laughs> if Todd is watching. <laughs> he is, uh, he is, was one of my favorite parts of my, my Georgia State experience. Good deal. Well, hello, Todd, if you <laughs> uh, Okay. So any other things you want to throw in before we move on to present stuff? Oh, we can move on. All right. So let's talk about uh, the present. What are you currently doing? So um, at present, I I do a bunch of things. Um, so my my day job um, is I I edit. I guess I guess at this point I I post supervise and uh, do a little bit of um, associate production um, work on a discovery web series called Forward Thinking. Um, just, just so, uh, in case anyone is not familiar with film stuff, sure. just briefly, what does that mean? Okay, so, uh, so with Forward Thinking, this uh, Discovery web series, um, we, will, we will shoot the show, um, and I will get the footage, um, raw, j just like, just straight out of the camera. And it's my job to make it into something pretty that is enjoyable and entertaining to watch. Um, so I take the footage, I cut it up, um, and then I go out and I find B-roll. So, so forward thinking, I, I should say, is um, it's a web series that focuses on innovations and, and technologies that are going to shape our lives in the near future. Um, occasionally, we'll have an episode about something that's really far off, like uh, 
the current episode is on um, programmable matter. Um, basically, being able to manipulate matter at an atomic level um, to create anything you want. So you would have a vat of this putty substance or clay type substance, and you would type in theoretically commands into a computer, um, and it would tell those atoms how to arrange themselves to create a pogo stick or headphones or whatever. And then once you were done using it, you'd say, all right, I'm done with it. And they would turn back into clay or putty um, and then you could use it another time for for something else, cause something completely different. Um, that's a Thneed that's got nothing on the Wensler. <laughs> <laughs> Wensler doesn't have anything on programmable matter. <laughs> you with your truffle the trees. Nope. Um, so uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's really neat. The problem with it is it's so cutting edge that. Even though people at MIT and Harvard are laying the groundwork right now, we're not going to see anything like this for another uh, optimistically 50, 60, 70 years probably. Oh, really? Um, it, it's way out there. So, so, But for the most part, forward thinking focuses on uh, more, more current things, um, solar energy. Um, there have been recent advances in fusion power um, that in the next probably five, maybe 10 years are, we are going to see starting to actually, you know, affecting our lives on a daily basis. Um, you know, just, just tech things that are, that are on, on the, the near horizon. Um, That's fascinating. so it's, it's, it's so cool. I get to learn stuff every day. It's, I, I couldn't have a better job at the moment, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so I will go out to these universities and sometimes, um, corporations like Lockheed Martin, um, wind energy companies, space technology companies, and I will find video and stills of their technologies and I will incorporate them into the footage of our host talking about them. Um, and then I'll go out and my... The associate producing role part of it will be um, getting permission to use them, contacting the right people, um, and uh, just just making sure that on a legal front that we're all we're all taken care of. Um, so so anyway, and then I'll put in music to it. I'll put in sound effects sometimes. Send it all out um, to an animator who will do a quick animation on something that. There, there is no footage of because it's so cutting edge. Um, get that footage, that animation back and throw it in, get all the sounds that's mixed and put it in, do, do a color grade and then export it and, and send it out. Um, so I, I touch a lot of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been doing it for about a year now um, and uh, we're coming up on 100 episodes. Um, wow. Every Every week we have a new one, so. I like it. Um, definitely, definitely check it out. It's forward thinking. Forward thinking. Um, it's uh, so we call it forward thinking, but if you're actually typing it out, it would be FW thinking, um, as in okay. forward on like a remote control or a, right. a VHS deck or something like that. Gotcha. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so that is my work, um, and I love it, and I work with great people, and you know I'm always learning new and different things, um, and then. Around that, um, I write and direct. Um, so at the moment, um, I have a horror feature film that I'm outlining um, 
And I, I just this week sent out the, the outline to, to a few different people that have a grasp on, on story and, um, and structure. And I'm, I've gotten some feedback, feedback back so far and I'm hoping to get back a little bit more and then I'll dive into a first draft. So, so that'll be, that'll be exciting. Um, and then I, uh, I direct all manner of little things on the side, music videos. You, you just starred in a, uh, a uh, little contest video that uh, that I produced and directed, um, I guess yeah. four weeks ago. Um, so, so yeah, always busy, always trying to to hone the the craft of filmmaking for sure. Yeah. Do you have, so? What would uh, in terms of future aspirations for for directing? Like, would give me goals? So the goal the goal right now is is directing is directing features. Um, I. I think at the moment it mo makes most sense to go kind of the tried and true horror route. Um, at, Why is that the tried and true route? You know, there have just been a lot of directors that have gotten their start that way. I mean, um, you know, Steven Spielberg, arguably his first first big feature was uh, it was a made for TV um a movie about a, a truck that hunts a guy really? <laughs> kind of uh yeah it's uh I, i'm i'm not even i don't even remember if um the truck has really a driver that we ever see it's kind of just this uh, this was that like hard candy or whatever that was no god hard candy is a horrifying movie um that's, <laughs> that's got ellen page in it uh <laughs> that's one of the scariest movies i've ever seen <laughs> Um, but you know, uh, so, so there's that example, um, Peter Jackson obviously got his start doing, doing horror films. Um, so it's, so that's just kind of the way to go. It's not, Seems like. it's not necessarily the way to go, but it's definitely a way to go and it has worked for, for a few people. Um, so you, the, the advantage of it is you can, you can produce something for a relatively low budget, um, that will scare people and that people will, will want to watch. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's what I'm focusing on right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so the goal is to hopefully not get pigeonholed into that one genre. Um, sure. But I guess there are worse things. <laughs> being a working horror director would be better than being, you know, a nothing director. <laughs> yeah, or just a horrible director. <laughs> or just a horrible director. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's that is the eventual aspiration. Um, right. Let's see what, what comes of that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, are there any maybe film things that just maybe issues with the industry or, or maybe something we figured out in school that like, I felt like when I was in school, there were always things that I was saying to myself, this could be so much more efficient. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are they doing it this way? There's a lot of that in film school. Um, yeah. I mean, film school is a, is a learning experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that feeling is pretty ubiquitous. Um, one of my, one of my most eye-opening experiences, um, so, so I was, I was pretty down at Georgia State at a time. Um, I felt like the program hadn't taught me a lot and it was like very disorganized and you know, the people were doing things inefficiently and, and whatever. Um, and I was considering grad school um, at one of you know, the big 
your standard film schools, UCLA, USC, AFI, one of those big Los Angeles, um, extremely expensive film schools. Um, so I was out there um, and I, I toured them and sat in on a few classes. And this may not be at all indicative of the overall program. You know, I don't want to be, you know, down on, on those guys. Um, but the, the classes I did sit on, in on were not what I was expecting. Um, you know, I you mean in LA, in LA. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, for the most, I, I was sitting on, on graduate level courses, you know, people who were spending hundred, oh, more than that, uh, $240,000. That's the tuition. Uh, I think that's everything at, at USC. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Um, yeah. It's uh, you better make it after that. You better make it. Um, <laughs> I know it's it's like fifty five a year. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure the the directorial program at least is an obligatory four year program. <laughs> so right, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Um, and you know I. I, I saw kind of many of the same issues that that I was seeing at George State. Not, again, not that you're comparing apples to oranges. There, there are definite differences between something like USC and Georgia State University. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that being said, I, I kind of I just think it goes with the territory that it's a lot of green people who are finding their voices um, you know, learning, learning new things, making mistakes along the way. So, do you mean in the in the students or in the teaching? I I mean more in the students. Um, I don't know if your question specifically referred to like a, I don't know, on a a teacher or organizational level. I mean, really, I guess when I when I think of issues, I think of things that, um, can like you can sensibly see an issue that could be resolved. Mm. It isn't. That makes sense. But I, I, I guess I, I think I see where you're coming from there. Um, you know, the, the film schools in Georgia, from what I have experienced, have definite ways to go. Um, Georgia State specifically, I think, focuses too much on the film studies side um, and not enough on the production side, which has a much greater possibility in my opinion, of getting people jobs um, yeah. and, uh, and getting them to where they, they want to be. Um, were, were there some lessons that you've learned since that you wish you would have, like, they would have imparted to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that Georgia State didn't teach me anything at all in a, like, in a film sense, but, but the grand majority of what I've learned technically speaking um, and story-wise and and even to a degree theory-wise is has mostly come from getting out and you know talking with other people and learning in the industry and kind of trial by fire sort of things it's a little, it's a little bit scary um, yeah. I think generally speaking um, just, just a lot of people graduating from film schools um, are unprepared for what the reality is. Um, 
Are there are there any nuggets of advice you'd like to give to anyone? Uh, no one's gonna buy your short film. Um, <laughs> that is the reality of it. I I don't care if it's a Sundance winner. Um, I I know a guy who who won an award at Sundance for his short film. Um, and I mean you you may get a little recognition, uh, and you may you may get like five hundred to a thousand dollars for a really small distribution deal on, I don't know, Netflix or some sort of online content distributor. But uh, yeah, um, so so industry people for, for the most part are not at uh, short film festivals looking for talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're definitely not going to sell, you're not gonna make a whole bunch of money back. I, 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 don't, I don't think personally, from what I've seen, that uh, that short filmmaking w- is is a way to break into the industry. It may be a great way to hone your craft, um, to make mistakes for not a lot of money. That's not going to bankrupt you. Right, um, you're not committing to this huge long right project. right. You're not going to be involved in something for two years and then have something finished and be like, oh no, this is <laughs> man, this is not worth it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's a mistake to um, to still be selling kids that yeah make a short film and you'll be discovered that way. So is that what they teach you in school? That is, I think, still the the overwhelming like kind of expectation. Um, maybe it's not maybe necessarily that they're not that they're teaching that that they're they're teaching that yeah you're gonna this is gonna be a massive break guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're also not addressing um, that it, it's that the world has changed and yeah. and YouTube and Vimeo are the place where they're they're looking for for talent right now. Vimeo is interesting, isn't it? Vimeo is an interesting place. I didn't um, realize how how many filmmakers are really on there, and it's it seems to be one of the best ways to make like. Have a good way to get money back. Yeah, um, you know, they there's a whole department at Vimeo who just spend all day looking for good content. Um, and I've known a couple people who've gotten Vimeo staff pick, which is where it's like it's like kind of certified uh, quality essentially, and you get like Vimeo laurels essentially, this little like logo that you put on it is like Vimeo staff pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you you can get a lot of a lot of I, I should qualify a lot being like not not crazy amounts probably not going to make a career amounts but like you still get a little bit of traction get a little bit of notice um get some views maybe somebody will will see it and like it and you know you you might be able to to get your first job that way foot in a door maybe yeah um well if nothing else it's you know if you have something high quality like video wise versus youtube i mean YouTube, YouTube is really not a. It wouldn't be my recommendation for you know trying to get seen um, for for quality work. Um, yeah. It happens sometimes, um, but Vimeo far and away is is tailored more for the creatives and the people looking to put out content that is interesting and a step above. Um, you know that that is pushing the boundaries one way in quality or in content or or whatever you interesting do you have any um any thoughts on 
just what it's like to be an artist creating something. And uh, if, if, say, just, just someone who's listening who's not maybe not a huge film buff, but they want to support artists and like, they'd love to find new great content, uh, what's, what's the best way to do it in a way that can support the artist without being like, oh, I have to spend $30 to watch a movie I'm going to like, maybe buy a DVD. But, um, you know, going to a local film festival is awesome. I mean, I, I know as a filmmaker that like having an audience there who, you know, is, is giving me time, um, to, to, to look at my, to look at my work is, is really appreciated. Um, and, and answering questions for, for audience members is just, just a lot of fun. Um, so they have Q and A's. Yeah. Yeah. So like you'll, you'll screen your work and then at the end of it, you know, typically the director will go up and maybe, maybe some actors or whoever, whoever else who, who was involved in the production will go up and there'll be a Q and a session. It's, it's usually short, especially for the, the smaller film festivals. Um, but the audience gets to, to ask questions like, how did you do that and that? And like, what was your thought process behind, you know, whatever. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's an easy, fun time. It usually, it's sometimes it's free. If it's not free, it usually doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can definitely support it that way. Um, so, uh, being that we're in Atlanta, what are the, the, some of the, the, the small, festivals yeah. Um, well, I mean, the biggest one is the Atlanta film festival. Um, uh, I have never had anything in the Atlanta film festival actually. Um, but the Atlanta Shorts Fest is a lot of fun. Um, they, when I was there, they did it at the Goat Farm. Um, really? Yeah, uh, which is a really neat uh, atmospheric kind of, it, it has the feel of kind of like this kind of, I don't know, almost like post-apocalyptic kind <laughs> of industrial complex. Um, and there's not a whole lot of, anything like it it's kind of like i don't know what or you goats. call yeah or the, are there goats there i don't think so i don't there's know there's a turkey there, <laughs> i think i've seen the turkey but they they shot a bunch of hunger games there um it's a really popular place um to shoot shoot movies um just because it's so textural and and cool looking and it's kind of they it is an exhibition space for artists of all kinds for for film, for performance art, for visual art. Um, uh, so yeah, so Atlanta Shorts Fest and the, I think the Atlanta Horror Film Festival, the year I had things there, um, they were both there. Um, you know, there's the Savannah Film Festival, which is pretty big. Um, Athens has a few uh, little film festivals. There, there are a bunch. Um, I, I, you know, there, there are dozens in Georgia alone. Um, yeah. so yeah, it, if you live in a city of any size, chances are there's, film there's a local film festival that, you know, you can, you can go out to and have some fun at. Check it out. Yeah. So Vimeo, we got film festivals. Yeah. Um, all right. Are there, are there any, any things beyond the acting world that, kind of maybe irk you or, or you wish would be kind of resolved? Hmm. Uh, in a local sense, in, you know, um, I wish, I wish the Beltline would move faster. Um, 
I I love the Atlanta Belt Line project. Um, I've been following it for years, um, and at present, it's slated to be completed in twenty thirteen ish. Um, and it's it's mean last year. Uh, I'm sorry, twenty thirty. <laughs> I was like, wait. thanks for catching me there. <laughs> uh, yeah, twenty thirty. Um, which is that long? Really? Yeah. Uh, so to be fair, it's a huge project. Um, Right now, they're estimating it's going to be a five, five and a half billion dollar investment, all all told, which which for Georgia is massive. Yeah. You know, it's a state that hates spending any kind of money on transportation or yeah. uh, any any kind of, you know, mass commuting anything. Yeah, what happened to our high-speed rail? Oh, um, <laughs> don't get me started on... High speed rail. Um, no, do get started. Well, <laughs> that man, I can I could go on for that uh, on that for forever. Um, but uh, but the belt line is going to be really cool. Um, when and hopefully, I'm I think it's going to be finished. Um, but when it's finished, uh, so it's going to be a loop around Atlanta, kind of in the same way that the two eighty five is. Um, a little, little bit, um, it's like in, an inner ring. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit inside the perimeter. Um, kind of, I guess halfway between 285 and like the Capitol building essentially. Um, okay. it, uh, so it was devised by a, a Georgia tech grad. Um, it was, really? yeah, that. it was their, uh, it was there. I, I think like thesis, um, project uh, back in the late nineties. Um, it's, it's been a long time. It's been, it's been an idea for a long, long time. Um, and it had, yeah, I I guess like the past, past, I guess maybe eight ish years ago, it's first started like really, um, gaining steam momentum and things started getting built. Um, so right now the, the stretch that's open is from Piedmont park, um, to, really close to here actually um kind of it, it terminates in inman park the the paved um section of it and there there's a little bit of a hiking trail that extends beyond that into old fourth ward and then there's also a section on the southwest side um that is also paved um and you know in, in a state that like we can start using it so southwest is was it college park um yeah ish <laughs> somewhere in that area kind of kind of down there um and uh i i guess i should back up maybe a second and just like in case anybody doesn't know what the atlanta beltline project is um so it is a uh a walkable initially it's a walkable um project that will ring um the downtown ish atlanta area um and provide um, a, a bike and walking path and eventually light rail. Um, and then so like, a, like a trolley. Yeah, exactly. That will, they will go around the whole city and along the sides of it are all of these other, um, uh, little branches or, well, there, there's that too, but, but restaurants and it's, it's a, it's a gigantic gentrification project. Um, okay. so wherever the belt line goes, you can expect to see new apartments being built, new restaurants being built. Uh, 
It is an art space. Um, so all along the, the sides of the belt line are there's sculpture and there's now um, the Atlanta belt line lantern parade every year. So it's, it's become this, this big like community kind of thing. Um, and uh, everybody loves the belt line. Uh, I don't, I don't know anybody who doesn't like the belt line. Yeah, I love. There's like little art projects all along the side of it. Yeah, I yeah. It's that. it's just like, it's super convenient um, to to you know Atlanta is such a a car automobile city. You you almost can't go anywhere without driving. Um, and it's it's so refreshing to have this this option of oh I can bike somewhere. And I don't have to get. I don't have to worry about getting run over if I if yeah. I bike this. Um, <laughs> I'm terrified. Like people scare me. I I love the idea of biking um, and cycling, um, but I would never do it in Atlanta. If with okay, there is one exception, um, but except for this one person, everybody I know who cycles in Atlanta has been hit by a car at least one time. Really? Really? I don't um, know. And many of them have sustained, I mean, relatively serious injuries. Okay, you know, Obviously what do you what do you qualify as serious? They weren't in comas or anything, but they they broke bones. Um, one guy almost lost an eye. Um, I, uh, How do you almost lose an eye? I, if you get hit in the skull hard enough by a car, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that's not cute. No, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was not cute. Um, but uh, so yeah, I I don't trust drivers in Atlanta. Drivers in Atlanta don't know how to how to share the road. Um, cyclists I, in Atlanta are sometimes part of the problem too. Um, also, you know, it's it's just hard. I there there's no there's no right answer. Sometimes everybody is to blame. I've definitely seen cyclists that you know are not obeying. You know, running stop signs and red lights, and it's like, that, well, that drives me nuts. You like, you're asking to get hit by a car. Sorry, um, yeah. and I've seen plenty of aggressive drivers running cyclists off the road. So I, all all I'm gonna say is that like it's not a cycling city, and it's not gonna be one for decades. <laughs> so what do you? So how do you, how do you transition that? Do you think? Because part of the issue seems to me that uh, that Atlanta is so poorly designed streetwise that it expanded too quick. There's it's just not designed well, so there's traffic, which just makes people frustrated all the time. Because there's right. always an accident. There's always if you if you did a time lapse of Google Maps, just mm. screenshots during rush hour, you'd be it's like, miserable. How? How? Yeah. <laughs> um. So so like how how do we solve that? What, yeah, like what how uh, do we start transitioning to something better? Yeah, how do, how do you make it more friendly for bikers and pedestrians? Apart from like the belt line's great, but the belt line is great. Um, I appreciate what they're trying to do uh, with Ponce, um, Ponce de Leon Avenue. So what um, they so Ponce used to be a six lane road um, running uh, east east west from Atlanta out to Stone Mountain and eventually really all the way to Athens, Georgia. Um, but uh, they have turned it into a four-lane road, um, and they've added bike lanes um, to it. And it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it has made traffic much worse on Ponce, you know, taking out a lane on each side. Um, but honestly, Ponce shouldn't be the only road, you know, servicing. Ponce is just overcrowded. They're, yeah, I, I hate that if you want to go to Decatur from downtown, 
punts is really your only option. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I don't know what the answer is. Um, I think... I think a Marta expansion... A Marta expansion would be huge. Um, so where, where do you think we need to expand to? So, so right now, Marta stops... Marta stops kind of... It, go, it goes a couple stops beyond 285, but generally speaking, you know, it stops at the perimeter. Um, and the grand majority, I mean, Atlanta's a commuter city. Everybody lives outside the perimeter. Um, and the only way to get inside, to get into the city is via highways. So, you know, this is not this is not, again, like, this is not the silver bullet. Um, yeah. But expanding MARTA, pushing it further out, um, into the suburbs so that you would actually have access um, to the city from further out, I think would be a huge help. Um, yeah, I feel like I live in Norcross right now and at least in Norcross, I have to go down Peachtree Industrial and then I have a choice. I can go east or west on 285 and take 400 or 85. Right. But I mean, <laughs> there's always accident or construction and then I'm like oh, this is gonna I mean in rush hour it's just all you just don't drive during rush hour if you can avoid it um, uh, but yeah I mean I think that would be a huge help um, I which would relieve a lot of the congestion on the inner city of roads which then would also make it a little bit safer for, for cyclists um, so that combined with the, the Atlanta trolley project which is another small step in the right direction. So, um, so give us a little detail on that. So the the Atlanta trolley project is sort of, uh, I guess it's it's kind of beginning to get politically rolled into the Beltline as well. Um, but initially, it was going to be completely separate. Um, so it's it's a it's a streetcar project that um, connects a bunch of the downtown and Sweet Auburn districts, so around Georgia State University. Um, so it's a, Sweet Auburn, that's like the Martin Luther King area. Yes, exactly. Um, it runs It runs near the Capitol building, um, runs all through Georgia State. Um, yeah, it, it, it will... It's, it's made traffic a disaster for, for years down there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it's... It's a good thing. Uh, I, I support any, any investments in the transit system at this point. Um, <laughs> I was I was extremely irked a couple of years ago when the Big T's Blast um, oh, initiative on the ballot was defeated, I, which was not a surprise to me, but was just like, what what are you thinking? Like, how long can we go without putting money into infrastructure? Like, yeah. I, you know, I know nobody wants high taxes, but it's not like you don't get to, like, it's not like, oh, that money goes away. You get that money back in the form of nicer roads and lower commute times and high-speed fiber optic internet and extended model yeah. lines and airports. Please, please, can we get better internet? Like, Inter internet, internet in the U.S. is just, it's pitiful. Yeah, it's um, internet is kind of under siege from big corporations in the United States. Um, you know, you you have the likes of of Com Comcast and Time Warner uh, who 
you know, want to squeeze every last penny out of you at the same time while not providing fast internet speeds at all. I mean, sometimes it feels fast, but you look at someplace like South Korea who enjoys literally 10 times faster internet speed. Are they running 100 megabits? They, yeah, yeah, way, yes. So they're running the speed of Google Fiber. Yes. And <laughs> for, for $40 a month on average, Oh my um, God. So for for this for pretty much exactly the same money that we pay now for you know our internet or or cell phone, you know they are paying and getting ten times better quality. Ridiculous. And you know it's so 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 there's that there's net neutrality which is a whole nother can of worms. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that again that lobbyists are, are trying to so, corporatize. Um, so get, give us a, a little bit of net neutrality. What's your... Uh, oh, net neutrality... So, so I guess the, the core idea behind net neutrality is wanting to keep the internet free for everybody. Um, right now, there's a big push to create internet fast lanes um, that users will pay more for to use to get faster internet. Um, but it turn which maybe sounds okay, but the way it's being, it can be and is being used um, is for suppression of data and information delivery. Um, so, Providers are, on the one hand, shaking down people uh, like Netflix. Um, yeah, there was a thing about that, wasn't yeah, there? Um, charging charging them money to use the same the same wires that everybody else uses, just because you know there more people are using it. But don't you think there's a little bit of an argument where streaming HD video is so intensive? You know, there, there. I, I see, I see. Maybe the argument, the, the slippery slope scenario here, is, you know, with, with this ability to control who gets things faster, you can very easily actually limit information. So, like, let's say, uh, let's say I don't want. I'm a corporation and I don't want you finding out about the fact that I am using your <laughs> Oh, I was I was going to say something more nefarious. Like I am using uh, children in Bangladesh to make my products for like really small like 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 pennies an hour um, and uh, and I'm also uh, Harvesting organs from them uh, on the side and they collapse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then and then sometimes I also just like I don't know I I do other terrible things to them. Like so there's information that I don't want to get out. I could I could make that the website that is carrying the news report on that way 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 slower than my sponsored site, um, which is running an article about. How great I am, um, and uh, how great my um, my my record is on uh, 
my my labor record is. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know. There there are arguments both ways. Um, I will say that everybody, g generally speaking, people who are um, <coughs> concerned with you know equal access to information and data and knowledge are almost always uh, proponents for net neutrality and people who are concerned with profits and who have a stake in their bottom line are always trying to are always against net neutrality so i i kind of feel like i'm gonna side with the people <laughs> who have nothing to gain <laughs> in <Yeah>. the matter <laughs> totally um, so, uh, there, there are two sides to every coin. Um, and, uh, I, I often, I think everything, I think pretty much everything is a gray area and there, there's no, there's no full right or wrong one way or the other. There, there's always an argument to be made one way or another. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny. I love the idea of everyone being on equal terms, but I, I just wish we had a common base knowledge like of just what is true, and then we can debate opinions all day long, <laughs> right? But when you're de debating facts, that's... Debating, debating facts is frustrating. Uh, I, I mean, global warming is kind of like the... <laughs> the, the ultimate example of debating facts. Uh, I mean... It, it is it is a fact that I mean yeah it, it is a fact that uh, you know even, even me seeing like liking to to play in gray areas like it, it's it's a fact that uh, humans are contributing to climate change and not only that are the main contributors to climate change um, and that it is going to be a huge problem in the future and if we don't do something about it really really soon we're gonna be in serious trouble um and it just really irks me that uh people still people with a platform like news outlets and and talk radio hosts will still debate and sell the facts of of global warming and climate change as as opinion or or as fantasy um and and sell sell this charade to to people um yeah it really really irks me there 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 are a few things that that irk me more than climate change deniers for sure <laughs> is there um are there any arguments in here that you understand why people believe it but it's just not true that kind of thing uh are you saying that like i can appreciate why somebody would be skeptical of climate change? Yeah, or, it, or maybe are there are there any arguments um, for denying climate change that are well thought out paradigms, but that doesn't mean that they're true? So there's just a well thought out argument, but that doesn't mean it's an accurate argument. You know, the only the only the only arguments. So so yes, there there are arguments that that have been made. That climate change is is not real. That it's a it's a natural cycle, um, and the biggest one I think being that uh, we have only been keeping records 
for wet weather data since about 1880. You know, so we, we only have a 130-ish year window uh, of data to look at. This is very likely just, I don't know, a, a short-term trend. Um, how, how can we be sure that, uh, how, how, can, how can we as people so, so small affect something as big as the earth? Um, and I kind of, I kind of want to, I just, I just don't buy any of that. If you look at any of the, the, the data, any of the studies done in 98, 99, maybe more percent of them, you know, in equivalent than being scientists, scientists, real scientists, um, you know, all agree that the climate change and global warming is happening and it's our fault. Um, uh, so, so, but even, you know, even allowing, like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a chance it's not us. Um, maybe it is a natural, a natural thing. Do we want to take the chance? Like, like if it's 50, even let's, let's go extreme here. Let's say like there's a 50% chance that it's us and a 50% chance that it's not us. But if it is us, if it happens and it is us, you know, the global order is going to be upended and millions of people are going to die and sea levels are going to rise uh, and there will be food shortages and famines and civilizations will collapse. And 80% of the people live on the coast. So. And 80% of the people live on the coast and, and all of these cities are going to be inundated New York City will be underwater, you know, how many, how many billions of dollars worth of infrastructure will be lost in that city alone? You know, when, when that is the risk, like, do you, do you want to take it? Like, why, why, why would you not, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm playing Russian roulette with, you know, a gun that, that has two chambers, why why wouldn't I do everything I could to you never have to play that to, game to write to write um, so so anyway that's that's my biggest like conclusion on it is is it is it worth the risk and I don't think it's worth the risk um, yeah I, you know well and the funny thing to me is that I feel like people that are denying it are focused so much on trying to counter like make a counter argument that they're not thinking, okay, let's say it's a natural cycle. It's still happening. Right. <laughs> like, right. That doesn't change. Damn. It doesn't change. I mean, and you know what? The worst comes to worst. We find out in a hundred years, Oh, it was a natural cycle. And like, it's great now. Like climate is great. No famines. We didn't have to, you know, uh, we didn't have to relocate millions of people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and everything's better because we made everything more efficient. And everything's right? better. Like, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why. Why? why? The worst thing that happens is that we get a cleaner, a cleaner plant to live on, um, and better technologies and more stable energy sources, and you know all. All sorts of things, and all we've lost is, you know, a few. Okay, not a few. 
But all we've really lost is a couple, okay, a couple hundred billion dollars probably in switching over. Sounds like a lot of money, but I bet a hundred years from now, people looking back on it saying, man, all they had to do is invest a hundred billion dollars to like change world history. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you look at um, how much we spend blowing people up or how much we spend right. on all these other insane things that don't benefit us long term. Right. I was just listening to a, a Freakonomics podcast and um, they had this guy who uh, he took. So, you know how there's all these humanitarian uh, efforts all over the world, like, oh, we have to save pandas, global warming, this or that. Well, so Freakonomics, as economists, were thinking, all right, let's look at everything uh, for return on investment. Because mm -hmm. if you're going to invest all this money, let's start with what makes the most sense and get the most out of our money first. So they found this guy who um, had this thought, there has to be a list of all the different things ranked like priority, like what makes the most sense to go up first. And there wasn't because, hmm. you know, if you're trying to save pandas, for example, well, you don't want to compare that issue to all the other ones because it might not be at the top. Right. So that was, no one had done that. So when he did, um, he's now he's trying to uh, give talks to everyone and it comes out that <laughs> a lot of people don't like that their issue is on top, but a lot of people actually have respect for it because it's still okay. numbers are numbers. What what issue is on top? I'm curious. Uh, well, I did, they never really actually covered that. Oh, they, they no. didn't cover the list. But um, <laughs> okay, okay, but it exists, and we can go look at it if we want to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the main point was that it's it's important to put things in perspective and, and put like take the time to do the numbers and everything. Right. Right. Um, I would agree. Hmm. Let's see. Oh, uh, I'll get you going on high-speed rail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, so let's just start with um, what was the original plan with high-speed rail, if you know. So, so I, I don't... The high-speed rail project that I know of, um, there, there was one that was going to be a big Florida line. I'm not sure I actually know of any that recently have been proposed for Atlanta. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's there's always the thought of, let's make MARTA faster. Um, but if MARTA was maglev? It would be, be pretty great. It would be maybe overkill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there in two minutes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm... I'm not familiar with any any uh, high speed rail projects designated for Atlanta. Do you do you know? Well, I just remember. So when I was uh, when I moved here, I was mm -hmm. 16. That was 2004, and um, at some point between then and 2007, when I was living, uh, up, it was up in Hall County, just mm -hmm. about an hour north of Atlanta. My across the street neighbor was an electrician who worked at one point. I don't remember exactly when on a high speed rail. Okay, something for yeah. Atlanta. I don't know a whole lot. These were like close. You know? Okay. Um, but anyway, I just assumed there was a project. Um, I, I guess there might be. The, the highest speed rail currently in Atlanta is uh, the MARTA line that runs up the stretch that runs along 400 and hits about 70 miles per hour, which is pretty damn fast, actually. Um, I compete with it sometimes when I'm right next to it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a speedy stretch of track. I mean... You know, I was just in Chicago, and I I was struck by how kind of slow their 
their metro system is usually seems to be topping out around between 35 and 45 miles an hour. Um, so is that the old L train system? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, so that's the fastest stretch of high, of high speed rail I know of in Atlanta. And I think technically you can qualify that as high speed rail. Um, but, uh, they're the one the, the main ones I know about there there's a there's one proposed for the Northeast like a DC to um, I think Boston line um, that is really like a, at one point it was like like yeah we're gonna do this but I think now it's kind of like mm, we're, we're thinking about doing this <laughs> maybe we'll do this one day um, there was a stretch of Florida line that was going to go um, Orlando was on it. I feel like it must have been Orlando to Miami. Um, and the governor refused the federal funds for it on principle just because, like, I don't want any of this Obama money. Uh, so so forfeited several hundred million dollars. It might have been close to a billion dollars worth of um, federal subsidies for what would have been a really killer line. Um uh, and then that money went into the California one, which currently in the United States is the definitely the most advanced in a sense of like actually moving along. Um, so eventually, if things if things happen the way they're supposed to, and I, I think zoning has begun and groundbreaking might have started on the first stretch. But eventually there will be a line of high-speed rail going from um, San Diego to San Francisco. Um, and then uh, near LA, there will be another line that runs out to Vegas. And there's also this maybe other line around connecting Salt Lake to Denver. And there's an idea to connect then Denver to Vegas. So you would have this interesting kind of like T-shaped network uh, of high-speed rail on the, the west and uh, western Midwest um, side of the country. Um, and I kind of I love any, any high-speed rail um, projects. Yeah. I, I love riding on trains. They're fun. They're, they're great. Uh, they're an extremely safe and efficient way to travel. Um, and... I, I think I think we kind of need them in, in the U.S. It'd be kind of uh, hilarious to me if we went, you know, Industrial Revolution trains, then to planes, then back to trains. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be it would be a little ironic. Um, the uh, technology has progressed a lot. Um, there, uh, you mean we're not still shoveling we're... on Earth? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, being able to. Uh, to go in, Th this proposed um, line would at times hit 200-ish miles per hour, 180, 200 miles per hour. Um, and to be able to, to do that on, you know, the, the great thing is that you can power that via power plants, not not gasoline in cars or in plane engines. So being, which, and power plants are just way more efficient um, uh, at, at capturing carbon, their weight, they're just much cleaner. Um, so being able to have all that additional transportation um, for for a lot of money, so a lot of money, um, but 
you're offsetting costs that you would have to put elsewhere. So like, I think the the latest numbers I saw were it's gonna be like 100 to 120 billion um, for this this whole line. Um, but if they don't build this, they're going to have to spend over the next 20 years an additional 100 billion dollars upgrading airport facilities and upgrading highways to service you know the expanding population. So you're gonna spend it one way anyway. Yeah, why, why don't you just do this uh, this other clean, cool thing that is like it's very enjoyable to travel in, very fast, um, and uh, and would create just a ton of really high paying jobs in, in the United States. Yeah, I you know as much as I love road trips, I think it'd be pretty kick ass to have a job as a train driver, <laughs> two hundred mile an hour all the way across country. I'm down. It'd be pretty great. Yeah, I have to agree. I think one of my one of my goals in life is to go on the Trans Siberian Railway. Oh man, a, like week long trek. That that would be an experience. I know nothing about that. As as much as I just seem to have like come across as knowing about trains and rail, I I know it exists. I know it's a thing, but. I don't know how much it is. I don't know how it's where it starts and ends. Because Putin doesn't want you. <laughs> <laughs> Putin no ass. No yes. wants you to know. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, all I really know is that it crosses Siberia and that it, it takes, I think, like a week, week and a half to take the whole it's trek. A long, it's a long way. <laughs> but for me, traveling that far, like, I want... There, there, okay, so... There's a documentary that Ewan McGregor and a buddy of his did where they took motorcycles and it was called Long Way Around, I think it's on Netflix. Okay. But they, they took mo motorcycles off-road all the way from Britain, uh, you know, down through Europe and then Asia, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia, Mongolia, all that. And then when they did Russia, they went to the Road of Bones, which is like, that was even the whole thing. <laughs> do, do you know about the Road of Bones? I, I don't know about that. The Road of Bones is, so I think... Starting in like the 20s through the 40s, Russians made uh, all these um, basically prisoners work to okay. build roads in this part Sounds of Russia. Right? Yeah. And the reason it's called the Road of Bones is because it gets so cold that when people died, it's not if but when, Yeah. Uh, it was easier to build the road on top than to dig under and bury them. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's Just literally paved over them. Yeah, and a lot of it's not paid. And like, oh, good. So he <laughs> takes these like giant, fucking deuce and a half military grade trucks to to uh, you know traverse these waters, and then even then, some of them. It's a really interesting documentary to see them do all this. Okay. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> just to see how very because I think especially as an American and particularly as a suburban American, uh, I just have a limited view of what the world is like. Mm. You know, I can watch YouTube videos all day long. I can I can go on the internet as much as I want, but it's not the same as being in rural Russia, or it's a whole different world. Yeah, and I, I just I want to see that. I want to have be able to enjoy conversations or just watch the scenery go by. Yeah, sounds nice to me. Okay, I agree. Getting out and exploring the world is pretty important. Having having some kind of worldview, and and an experience in that world, that is uh, pretty valuable <laughs> for sure. Um, any other irks you've had? Um, so we've covered net neutrality. We've covered. We've got. We've gotten a rail. lot of issues. Um, no, no irks. I don't think. Um, no, I've, I've fenced it a little bit today. Um, All right. 
uh, you know, I'm I'm sad about uh, this week was a particularly bad week in in private space exploration. Um, oh yeah, tell me about but, that. But uh, well, so really, really weird. Um, so about a week ago, um, Orbital Sciences, uh, which is a private company who, like a month ago won a $1.9 billion contract to resupply the International Space Station with okay. any, any kind of, whatever they need. No, no people, just cargo. Um, so, so this is like, this is one of their first, I think it was their third flight um, after winning this contract. It was their third flight somehow, but they're uh, So it's a private company that's able to go in space. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and uh, and the rocket blew up about six seconds after launch. Um, major bummer. But even worse, like five days after that, um, Virgin Galactic Spaceship Two uh, had on its first test flight in nine months um, after retooling the engine and coming up with a different propell propellant mix. Um, it's it disintegrated um, right after um, lighting its main engine um, and oh. killed one of the, the pilots and severely injured the other one. So the it, it is I, I'm pretty sure I can safely say that it's been the worst week in space space flight since really the Col the Columbia disaster since Columbia broke up um, back in um, 2003. Um, so, and it's just, it's just weird that these things happen days apart. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's just yeah. been a really bad, and I, I, I really hope it doesn't turn people off to private space exploration and travel. Um, it, it does really show how, you know, no matter how long we've been doing this, it's still, that's a lot of explosive fuel that you have to have really tight calculations on. It's tough. Um, and you know, honestly, I... I have been expecting like something was going to go wrong with the the Virgin um, spacecraft suborbital craft at at some point. I mean, maybe it may be good that it happens now before you know they they are putting movie minor movie stars on it and yeah we don't need another Challenger. No, we don't need that, and we don't need a very public like Tom Cruise dying or. Something. Uh, Although I'm sure there are people that we have. I'm I'm sure the Church of Scientology would be really sad, but uh, but there are definitely some people who would not. That's mm, terrible to say, but maybe mind it as much as <laughs> as some others. Um, but uh, yeah, so strange, strange week in space, um, and yeah, it's kind of kind of sad. I'm, but isn't there? There's some uh, interesting things going on with the the. Thoughts on going to Mars, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there. So there are a few different Mars things right now, right. Um, and all of and many of them have they, they have varying degrees of like feasibility. Um, there's I think the Mars One project, um, which is this crazy idea um, that. Let's send some colonists to Mars and make a reality TV show around it. A reality TV show? Yes. And we will send them there and we will send them there. We will pay for it by selling, you know, by making it into a, a TV show and 
Everybody will watch it, of course, because you yeah. look at the drama. I mean... And it's a one-way ticket, um, and so the, there's no return plan on it. Um, I It's just it's just never going to happen. I, I don't know. I felt like I, I saw... I was reading an article on that, and there's like 200,000 people are wanting to do that they yeah they they had a you know a, a sign up selection process whatever however you want to call it so there, i mean there's interest but the technical hurdles of getting to mars i think are way beyond anything that that a reality tv show corporation whatever is is capable of and and man god forbid that you know they die um I mean, what then? Uh, the the, the risks, know. both both like to the crew and from a legal perspective of I don't know, jettisoning people off the planet permanently. Right, right, and <laughs> and negligence, and whatever. I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't put a whole lot of credibility to that. Um, you know, there is uh, SpaceX has stated that they want to get to Mars. Um, and SpaceX is another private... SpaceX is my favorite um, private space company um, founded by Elon Musk, um, also the founder of Tesla. Um, this is right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so they, they also won um, that $1.9 billion NASA contract to resupply the International Space Station. So, so both, both SpaceX and Orwell Sciences both got... Equal one point nine billion dollar contracts. Um, and SpaceX had a successful launch, did they? Oh yeah, SpaceX has a pretty clean record. Um, they lost a few things, but not as spectacularly as uh, this yeah. latest loss. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so SpaceX, unlike Orbital, um, will eventually be man rated. Um, so you will be able to. They have, they have something they call the Dragon Capsule, um, which astronauts will be able to ride up to, to orbit, to the space station, to a rendezvous with um, a few, this future space launch system, which is the, right now, supposedly the successor um, NASA space vehicle. Um, so, uh, so yes, um, SpaceX has stated that they would be interested in, in getting to Mars um, independently of, of NASA. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I also am, I love SpaceX. They've done amazing things. Um, you know, space is really hard to get to and what they have done is incredible. Um, but Mars would be a huge leap. Um, yeah. For anyone, um, I'm I'm skeptical that NASA can do it. They're, NASA is trying to reach Mars in the mid 2030s um, with people. With people, um, and I it will, <laughs> it will take a lot of political um, stamina. Uh, it's yeah, a, that is a long time and a lot of administrations um, to cycle through. Uh, you know when the the transition between the the Bush and Obama administration was a nightmare for space. Everything, I mean, it didn't. Everything didn't get thrown away, but the many of the ideas got thrown out the window entirely. Um, and 
you know, where I got set back several years. Um, so if that happens again, if like, if every time an administration changes, we have to restart with a, a new set of goals and, and ideas. And if every president wants to like put their stamp on the space program and you'd be like, no, 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 I want, I want this vehicle. Let's, let's do this. Uh, we're not going to go anywhere for a long time. So yeah. Well, then maybe it'll be up to private companies. It, yeah, it might have to be. Um, so leaving Mars alone for a second, what about the moon? I keep hearing things about people trying to mine on the moon. Um, the moon. So the moon is an interesting target right now for India and China. Um, and there are probably a few uh, private U.S. firms that are also interested in going there. Uh, NASA is not at all interested in the moon. Um, they used to be. About uh, in the in the Bush years, that was that was like the goal. Um, not the goal. It was the the goal was still Mars, but that was the intermittent the uh, the the in between destination. Um, as as presently outlined, um, the goal is to send astronauts to on a number of asteroid um, rendezvous uh, and then on to Mars from there. And the asteroid missions will be in the 2025 range. Um, right, right. We'll also see. But the, the, US, the U.S. has no reason to go back to the moon um, at, at the moment. Been, been there, done that. Uh, and you don't think it'd make a good, like launching point for future spacecraft oh it would it would be great um there, there's a lot of cool stuff on the moon but at present nasa's budget is so small that it's you have to pick you can't have it all i mean yeah we can go to the moon where we've been already or we can do these new things um you just you, you can't do it all i mean nasa's budget is half half of one percent of the entire federal budget um it, it's it's you know they have money. They 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 have a lot of money, and that but 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 NASA's budget has been flat for the past four or five years now, um, and the amount of things that are being asked to do with with their money, which is about it's about eighteen billion right now, might it's somewhere between I think it's right around 18, 18 19 billion dollars. Um, which is, you know, still a lot of money, but comparatively to anything else, to Social Security, to, to Medicare, to the defense budget, yeah. it's a drop in the bucket. Um, so you, you can't do it all. I, you know, I, I support wholeheartedly doubling, tripling NASA's budget. I would be more than happy to, uh, to kick in more tax dollars uh, for something that I think is noble with this absurdly great return on investment so, um, so tell me about that like well i think a lot of people think oh why are we going to space we haven't even explored all of earth what, what's what's the benefit what is the return on investment well the so oh man okay uh one you have just like the technology side um the things that we wouldn't have nowadays that have become commonplace like therapeutic mattresses Tempur-Pedic mattresses are great. Uh, GPS wouldn't be a thing. We wouldn't be able to fight wars as effectively. We wouldn't be able to get around as effectively. Um, Teflon came out of the space program. Um, LASIK, uh, dialysis. Um, uh, 
advanced solar technologies that are on the verge that have made solar competitive with fossil fuels um, comes directly from the space program. Um, so I, there, there, and, and I mean, that's just a small list. That's all, that's, that's just what I can name off the top of my head. I mean, the list just is expansive. Um, digital optics, cameras, if you like your digital camera, you can, you can thank the space program for that. Um, computer technology, transistors, uh, it just keeps going. It just keeps going and going. Um, so, so there's that argument. There's, there's just the pure knowledge argument of, you know, knowing where we came from and, and maybe not even these broad sweeping, like existential ideas, but knowing about the earth. I mean, there's a big chunk of the NASA budget is devoted to earth sciences. So monitoring um, sea level, sea levels and sea temperatures and the composition of the atmosphere and I didn't even realize that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Are they the ones that put out those little beacons all over the ocean so they can measure everything? Um, There's that. Doubtful. They're, so NASA, NASA is all from from the air and from space. Um, probably, oh, so they're, they're monitoring with satellites? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, probably. It's maybe like NOAA. Then, right? Yeah, it's probably something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, so there's that. And, and then you have the argument of not being able to live on Earth forever. I mean, at the rate at which our population is expanding, we have 200 years optimistically to have, you know, an alternative <laughs> some, somewhere else or, or completely rethink the way that, that we define life. Like, we would have to give up reproduction and having kids. Um, uh, you know, at, at some point, Earth is not going to be able to support more people. Um, yeah. And at some point, something bad will happen to Earth. Um, you know, be it, be it an asteroid impact, be it a war, be it climate change, um, be it a virus. Uh, you know, so the the... You know, the future of our species rests on us innovating in space. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the idea of intergalactic travel right now is fantasy. Um, so you're talking like the Star Trek kind of... Star Trek is... We will not see any time... Uh, barring, barring something extraordinary happening, space is just so big. Um, but have you seen, have you seen, um, I keep reading articles about this Mexican theoretical physicist that's, they're, they're trying to build something that essentially has a warp drive that like squishes space time. So yeah. I, I have, I have seen some of that. Uh, I haven't gone too far. What's the, so I mean with, uh, everything I've seen about, Warp drive technology, like the physics doesn't add up very well. Um, and we also understand physics at such a, I don't know, an elementary level, I think, um, that uh, it's, yeah, I, I think, I just think we have a long way to go. I, I you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, 
20, like, what is the year that everybody cites for, like, Star Trek and whatever? It's, like, 2,300 or 400 or 500. Yeah. I, I think it would be, if we are like that in 300 years, something crazy would have to happen. Some sort of crazy, crazy breakthrough on, on Earth. Uh, but you don't even think with... So, so if you look at, like, the population growth and the advancing of technology and... and society and mm -hmm. since the industrial revolution i feel like it's starting to isotope yeah it yes but i think i think people don't appreciate how big an empty space is <laughs> um like i i believe totally that in 80 to 100 years we will be traveling through the solar system relatively with relative ease um you know where we're a trip to the outer planets will be a matter of months maybe maybe weeks i'm gonna say months i'm gonna stick with months um but uh you know it's luckily with 3d printing of organs we might make it that long. we it's it's possible that the medical advances are kind of insane right now. Um, but, uh, I mean, so so you could fit all the planets in the solar system within the orbits of the moon and Earth. Um, you know, that's Jupiter, which is 100 times the diameter of Earth, and Saturn, which is, you know, maybe two-thirds the size of, of Jupiter, um, and they would fit comfortably in inside of it. Um, you know, any... Any demonstration of the vastness of space is really pretty staggering. I mean, uh, so Betelgeuse, which is a, a very large star, um, uh, an extremely large star. Uh, let me just say that, like, um, it's one of the it's one of the largest stars we know of. But our our sun would fit in Betelgeuse several thousand times. Um, I, I mean, it looks like a grain of sand compared to right. to Betelgeuse. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think the distances are so vast that maybe we'll visit another solar system. Alpha Centauri is a couple of light years away, but the yeah, I mean, multi multiple multiple like big star trek level expeditions out into the stars i think for a while are going to be a bit pretty much. fictional um you run into all sorts of things i mean time itself is is a problem the faster you go uh the more time is manipulated and time travels differently um the faster you go time travels differently the more gravity you have the, interestingly, um, this was an interesting article that I read this week. Um, so clocks are becoming so precise now that uh, moving them in elevation a few inches throws them completely off. Really? Um, because Earth's gravity has changed. Nine, nine inches moving a, these clocks off of a table um, has an appreciable enough difference um, to completely throw, throw them out of whack. Um, Interesting. Well, that's what we figured out when we went into space, right? That 
in in orbit, the clocks don't. They do. Tick at the they same do speed. tick. They tick slower. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it's totally weird. <laughs> so more gravity equals time goes by quicker. Is that? Uh, yes. Yeah. I believe that is correct. Hmm. <laughs> it just blows my mind. Like, what do you mean? We, I love yeah, it though. it's it's very it's it's all very strange. To an outside observer, though, it moves slower, uh, which is why as you get sucked into a black hole, you appear to freeze. Like there there reaches a point that if you could observe somebody getting sucked into a black hole, they would appear to freeze on the event horizon, and they would be there forever. This frozen last image of huh. you. Still shot. Uh, stretched and dying. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Not a pleasant thought. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. Um, sp space is a favorite subject of mine. Um, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I can talk about it for kind of forever. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's look at um, let's look at the next five years. Sure. So, let's start with. Um, what do you, just based on your observations of the world, your perspective, what do you think the next five years are realistically going to look like? Um, I think many things would be the same. I would be a little surprised if gay marriage were not legal in the United States on a federal level. Um... That would probably be the biggest societal change that, that I would see in the next five years. Um, I think... Um, the United States is probably going to have increasingly difficult time dealing with China. Um, you know, China a couple, few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, overtook us officially as the world's largest economy. Um, oh, did they? They've already they passed it. Uh -huh. Oh, um, interesting. And uh, they they are not going to take, you know, their their position as a minor power for much longer. I don't think. You know, you see them being more and more belligerent with, you know, there there's a dispute over a number of. Um, Japanese islands um, that they claim is their own sovereign territory in Japan. Well, don't they, don't they claim theirs. a lot of Indo, like the Indonesian islands and stuff? Yeah. The arguments, though, could kind of, I think, as I understand it, the arguments are legally better more in Japan's favor. Um, this is coming from kind of a westernly informed standpoint, so I might be reading biased articles that's possible um but uh but either either way um I, I think china is going to be increasingly uh assertive um maybe not necessarily aggressive but assertive certainly um and um we i think are going to have we will begin to see the first of the united states not being able to set world policy as much um, as it has enjoyed for the last 15-ish years. Um, so yeah, China will be a major power. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, you know, that doesn't have to be threatening. 
it could be threatening. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I, I think that the the whole having China so blocked off from the rest of the world, like not really knowing everything that's going on there, because mm -hmm. a lot of the articles and things don't get translated. So it's. Yeah, it's um, it's just a mystery. <laughs> I I hmm. I am hopeful that it will be a positive mutual partnership that it will develop into that. I mean, we we have this this you know excellent trade um, exchange going on between us that makes it really just disadvantageous to uh, to start any major disagreements or or fighting or or whatever um, yeah. but I would say I would say China I, I would very much expect China will push the US further and further out to to maintain a healthy buffer zone um, uh, yeah they they will increasingly deny naval access to the surrounding sea. They're already starting to do it. They'll push it further. Um, I will be interesting, interested to see what they do about uh, the US having now an extended base in Afghanistan, which has very, very small land passage into, I forget if it's China or Mongolia, but e either way, it's. If I were China, I would be a little uncomfortable with how close the air bases are there. So I don't, I don't know what they'll do about it. We might see a bunch of missile batteries installed there <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but anyway, uh, I mean, the war on terror, I expect, will continue to be going for 5, 10, 20, 20 years, honestly, as much as I hate to say it. But I would be, I would be much more surprised if it was not a thing. Um, in five years. I don't know how it couldn't be a thing in five years. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to approach this point where there's just going to be an entire generation that knows nothing but what it's like for America to be in a war with terror. With it now. Yeah. Um, war on nouns. America is always at war somehow. I, there, there's just very rarely a time <laughs> that it's not. Um... It'll it'll be really interesting to see how it resolves itself. I I don't know. I hope it only lasts twenty years ish. Mm, it might last a little longer than that, but hopefully hopefully we can get away for twenty years. Um, I guess we'll see. I expect more instability in the Middle East. Uh, I expect some interesting tech things. Um, really hoping for. Uh, the a practical application of fusion. Um, okay. We yeah we I think we're close. Um, you know it. Every every week it seems like somebody is like is announcing a a breakthrough fusion technology. How we're we're just years away. We're we're just like a couple of years and we'll be there. And that's been going on for years. It's kind of like the flying car. Like the flying car is always five years away. Yeah, or or there's a French company that came up with a car that runs in compressed air. Perfect. <laughs> it was brilliant. Okay. And hey, still waiting. Mm. They were gonna do it in uh, India, but I, I'm pretty sure that got politically squashed pretty mm. quick. 
I guess more power to them. But, <laughs> but I, I'm really hopeful that, that in the next five years, I think we're actually close. Um, Lockheed Martin has been working on this. Um, uh, it, it is a, a compact fusion reactor um, that is roughly the size of a refrigerator-ish. Really? Um, yeah. So the great thing about that would be you could have local power. So it's like per skyscraper or whatever. Well, it would probably be a little bit more than that. Um, but each community could, in theory, have their own nuclear reactor. Their own nuclear, <laughs> nuclear reactor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you know, and, and fusion power is totally different than, than fission. It's, it's exponentially safer, safer. You can't melt down. Um, there, there, there is, there, there's not this like, just like continuous production of nuclear waste with it. Um, so it, it is, it is potentially like the miracle fuel that everybody Everybody has been dreaming for, um, and I'm really hopeful that we get it sooner than later. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I was watching. Uh, I think it's called Pandora's Promise. It's a documentary about nuclear power. Okay. Um, and what they were saying was, back when we first started building these nuclear reactors, there was the type that we ended up building. Thorium. Are you about to say thorium? I don't know if it's thorium. I thought it was like a type four reactor. Continue. Uh, it just basically. It can use 90% of the nuclear waste from the ones we currently use, and it, the way that reactors built, it literally needs zero input from people. If mm -hmm. like melting happens, there there is no meltdown. It just automatically is able to contain it without any issues. And we didn't build it because it's a little bit more expensive. Huh. I have heard I've heard a story similar to that. What I understand is that we had well well okay so so that may that might be completely true. Um, and I believe it. I believe that they would go with the, the less expensive option. That's um, terrible. Yeah. Uh, but there's also um, kind of near the advent of the nuclear age, um, there, there was the option to go with uranium-based reactors or thorium-based reactors. Okay. Um, and thorium is... Kind of better in every way. Um, <laughs> more output of energy, like a tenth of the uh, of your the nuclear waste produced. Much more stable. Blah blah blah. Goes on and on. However, the waste from their uranium reactors could be used and enriched to create nuclear bombs, which we wanted a lot oh. of. So we went. Purposely with the one that produced lots of radioactive waste so that we could enrich it. Um, cold War, man. Cold War. <laughs> um, so now, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that we needed bombs then, but now it kind of hurts that... <laughs> yeah, well, especially you know. the, uh, John Oliver on his HBO show mm -hmm. last week tonight, he had a whole special on the nukes, and <laughs> they just... The people keeping our nuclear arms protected, like the military personnel, they, they like left one of the doors just open. There's one guy like fell asleep. There's a whole special. It was 
hilariously awful. And then apparently we accidentally dropped two nukes in like North or South Carolina. Luckily yeah. we off, but yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> the, it's actually remarkable that we haven't had an accidental detonation or nuclear war. Um, I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you read any of like the stuff that's been declassified since the breakup of the Soviet Union. It's just like, wow, we were so close so many times. It's just terrifying. Yeah, we... Uh, Why do we make such terrible choices? <laughs> That's what I want to know. You know, when you... I think I think any system is, that's that big... I mean, at one point we had, I think, almost 10,000 nukes. Um, and when you have that many of anything, I mean, they're, they're, uh, things are bound to go wrong somewhere. Um, yeah. That's the thing with... So when I... When I hear some conspiracy theories, I think to myself, they couldn't keep a blowjob secret for the administration. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. Right. But no, they orchestrated a I don't it's anyway. Um yeah. <laughs> well let's look at uh so that's kind of what you think's gonna happen. But in the, the spirit of maybe deciding what we want to have happen or what we should focus on. What do you think would be your priority return on investment? Oh, man. Of focus? What, would I, what would I like to see done? Yeah. Uh, gamer is pretty big for me. Um, you know, we're getting pretty close. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I am really excited to see the day um, that, uh, you know, everybody are... Everybody is treated equally. Um, uh, you mean equality is important? I should, whatever. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> those, those people, they don't need rice. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, I really hope we see that. I think we're going to see that. Um, man, are, are we talking like uh, pie, pie in the sky kind of things? Yeah, just what, what do you, like if you, if it was, man, people are asking you. Late. What do you think we need to focus on? Um, I think um, we have a huge... Well, first, let's define who we are, just so... Okay, so so the United States has a huge incarceration problem right now. Yeah. And after after um, gay marriage, all the dust settles and that and it's settled and, and everybody has the same rights, I would like to see us start focusing on that because we lock up way too many people um, for crimes that we shouldn't lock up. The, the, I, it's just, you know, these sm small possessions of, of drugs, it's just like, why, why would you ruin somebody's life over this? Yeah. Um, uh, California right now has um, three quarters of a million people in, in jail. Um, what? Yeah. Um, also... Uh, the privatization of the prison system, I think, is another huge issue that I would like to see focused on changing because it, it is becoming um, very advantageous to keep somebody locked up. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty messed up. Yeah, I, I mean, you Nike makes more money the longer these people stay locked up. Um, Nike? Yeah. I'm, How's Nike tied up with this? Nike's making shoes. Um, through prison inmates. Oh, so it's no longer license plates. It's no, no. There are there are a lot of things that are made via inmate labor now. Um, At what point does that just become forced slavery? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a... Yes. It's a, <laughs> I mean, in in theory, like, I, I can see, again, Grarius, I can see the argument that, well, they're in prison anyway, like, this is potentially reformative, uh, where they're 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 gaining a skill that they can use after after they get out. This it's reformative in the sense that they're learning work ethic if they didn't have one already, uh, and society is benefiting because well not society is benefiting but these corporations are making some extra money because they have an inexpensive um, local source of goods, um, but I. I just, I don't think that argument is worth, I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to mess with that uh, just based on the fact that, you know, again, that it becomes profitable to keep people locked up uh, for longer yeah. than they should be. Um, I just have a problem with, just personally, I don't like the idea of putting anybody in a box. That seems like... What are you what are you doing? And I get it, like, oh, we don't want like crazy rapists and murderers and all that. I just like you said, three quarters of a million in California mm, alone. Yeah. That's come on now. They can't all be it's a lot of people. Um <laughs> you can all be in danger in your life. Yeah, and and you know what? It would almost be okay. Except that so because there's so many people incarcerated all the money right now is being spent on creating new holding facilities whereas so so there there is there's nothing there's no money going into programs to help correct and and uh and get these people out of prison um and you know set them up to succeed afterwards mm-hmm. um so uh you know if if that were maybe something that were in place where we had a better track record of actually, you know, like if we actually wanted to help them, right. If they actually, if we actually wanted to help them. Um, but, but yeah, as it is, we're just locking people up and eventually when they do get out, they just go right back in again. Um, well, yeah. Cause you, you've taken, it's like, you know how they have those, uh, those schools where they would take bad kids in high school or, or whatever and mm-hmm. put them Put all the bad kids together. Yeah, that that'll be good. <laughs> like, what do you what mean? could go wrong? <laughs> Come on now. Um, so anyway, I I would really like to see some, uh, just even even attention. I, I I think it's really, I don't think a lot of people are aware of the huge problem that we have at the moment. Um, and I would love to see. Well, obviously, I'd love to see more NASA money. Um, that goes without saying. Um, but also, I really hope... Okay, actually, two more things. I really hope uh, that there is a real debate that happens with uh, gun control. Um, I think it's long overdue, and I don't know... Something, it will take something truly awful, um, like, you know, I don't know, three Sandy Hooks happen in the same week on election day. I, I mean, <laughs> wow. it, it will take something truly horrible. Um, but uh, so I, so I, I don't wish for that. But I do hope that somehow, some way, 
we begin to address gun control with some sort of meaningful legislation or dialogue or, or whatever um, that's not driven by hysterical ex-president wanting to take your guns away. Um, yeah. So we'd definitely love to see that. And above that, I really would love to see more money for education, um, which, you know, I... I don't. I don't know how to fix. Let's just say that I. I am not read on the subject enough to know how to fix America's education system. I just know that it is failing too many people, um, and uh, and it is not competitive uh, with the world anymore. Um, well, have you seen where uh, Finland and I think Denmark what they've done with their schools? Um. Well, I. I don't, I'm not sure I know exactly what you're referring to. I mean, I know their teachers have exponentially more control of their classrooms there. Um, I know they're actually respected professions there, but what are you, what are you going to say? So, so there's a channel on YouTube called WISE, W-I-S-E. I don't remember exactly what the acronym stands for, but um, they have a, a whole bunch of series. And essentially what they did is they said, okay, um, Let's just try and teach kids to have fun and help them figure out what they want to do and not worry about testing. Like, they literally don't test yeah. their kids until they're 16. Like, mm -hmm. And that was just to see. Um, and what happened was they ended up being top two, three in the world. They they have an enviable education system. I'm just, I think one, one of them is one in the world. I forget which, maybe Sweden? Um, but, yeah, that whole area. I Yeah, they're really top-notch. I just don't, like, it is silly, <laughs> it's silly, with how much money we spend per kid that we're not doing what's most efficient. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, we, we need to focus somehow on it. Um, you know, I, I know, I know the, the political rhetoric is, we're failing these kids, um, but we are. And the problem is that nobody goes beyond, we're failing these kids to... You know, all right, let's do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, I, and again, I don't have a, a great solution, a silver bullet. Um, you know, I maybe have a, a couple little ideas, but I, you know, I'm no expert in the matter, so I wouldn't really want to talk on it too much. Um, but okay. I mean, I, sometimes it's just good to know when you don't know. Yeah, that's but nice. it is a problem, and and I think I'd really like to see it, it focused on um, more. I it might be, it might be the problem. Um, yeah. Having having more enlightened people never hurt any any <laughs> society. Um, and you can only there's only, too much smart. <laughs> <laughs> only good things will come from that. Um, so for sure, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, between the internet and good schooling. <laughs> The amount of things we could do. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, I like to finish up these with just kind of a lighter note. So mm -hmm. what do you want to do in the next five years of your life? Uh, I, next summer, oh boy, okay. Uh, we'll, oh, putting, putting this down into like a documented thing now. Uh, <laughs> I, I have this goal in, in my mind. Uh, I'd like to next summer shoot my first feature film. Okay. Um, 
It will be a little ambitious. Um, I am writing. I'm writing one right now that I think is going to be that. Um, so we'll we'll see. Um, but you know, it'll be it'll be a ton of work. It'll probably be from from the data production. Will probably be a year long process um, where that is like my my main thing that. I do after getting back from work and whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that is that is something that's definitely kind of in, in my mind. Um, in five years, I don't I don't know. I guess uh, I guess I would hope to have sold that film somehow um, and made my money back on it um, and somehow be. Um, yeah, so, somehow, somehow I'll be working as a director. Um, maybe not for a lot of money. Um, definitely not in any kind of like Christopher Nolan or Steven Spielberg sense. But, you know, be be making the lion's share of, of my income from directing. Um, and being able to like put on a business card, director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what I hope to do in the next five, five years and to travel. You know, I, I haven't seen enough of the world. Um, I, I would love to go to, um, Glacier National. Okay. So, uh, so like the biggest, the biggest goal, I would absolutely love to, um, see, uh, the migration in, uh, over the Seren in the Serengeti. Um, so okay. out in Tanzania, um, you can charter a hot air balloon and uh, do a hot air balloon tour over the wildebeest and zebras and all, all the animals, the millions upon millions of animals that are migrating. Um, and it just always has always sounded kind of incredible to me. Um, yeah, that sounds kick-ass. Yeah. Uh, so that might be like my year five plan. Um, uh, but soon here, like maybe in the next 18 months, I'm hoping to go to, I mean, there's so many beautiful places in the U S. Um, so I'm hoping to, to maybe get over to Glacier National Park before it melts. <laughs> yeah. <seriously. laughs> um, yeah. Um, geez, only, only it's supposed to be by 2020, five, five years. We got five years to get out there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, so maybe doing a tr little bit of traveling, seeing some, some parts of the world I haven't seen and, uh, and yeah, working, working on a career. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug? Do you have a website if people want to get a hold of you? For uh, yeah. If you know, um, so, so if you want to see any of my, any of my work, um, anything that I produced and directed or edited, um, I do have a website. Uh, it is myname.com, gerhardslavichka.com, but that's a mouthful. Um, you can also find it um, through gsfilms.net. gsfilms.net. Yeah, they both they both route to the same place. Um, so yeah, you can feel free to check it out, um, look around. I've got some photography stuff that I do a little bit of photography as a hobby, and there's some of that there. And, Okay. Some some films and, and projects I've directed. So. Yeah. Right. 
Do you wanna you wanna plug these guys you work with here? Oh, what was it again? Oh yeah. Um, so definitely, you should definitely check out uh, FW Thinking um, on YouTube. Um, it is uh, hosted by Jonathan Strickland, uh, who also has a podcast called FW Thinking. Um, every week we have a new interesting topic um, that's somehow innovated or technological in uh, orientation, and uh, it's just it's just always fun. We like to have fun with the show. It's usually about four minutes. You can learn a lot of stuff in a little bit of time. So I would uh, I'd recommend anybody to check it out. FW thinking. Yep. All right, man. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right, everybody. Um, that's it for this week. Or, well, I don't know how often these are. I'm not going to even say weekly. But anyway, uh, have a great night, and I will talk to you later.